I think we can say without contradiction that foundation members are very special people. As I think of some of our congregations that were formed in Ulster over the years, I think of foundation men and women who led the foundation for the work of God as it is today. And we, in some cases, laud their memory and thank God for their labours. And in other cases, we, we thank God that we're still labouring together in the gospel with them. As we look at the foundation members of the church at Philippi, we find that they were composed of some very unlikely characters. In Philippi, the, the, the opening membership was composed just of a few women. One of the lead women was Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She sold purple. And obviously she was a, a lady of quite means and, and well-to-do. And God blessed not only her business, but God blessed the house that she was in. Because her whole household, when they heard the apostle preach the gospel, they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first recorded male convert was equally unusual. And so from the business community, there were converts. From the women that uh, met Paul and Silas at the river, there were converts. And now in the jailhouse, there are other converts that are going to come to Christ. And it's his story, this jailhouse conversion, is one of the most unique not only in scripture, but in history itself. Paul and his colleague Silas had been locked in prison. They'd been falsely accused. They're not the first preacher that have been falsely accused. They were falsely accused by those who had made money from a poor girl who had been liberated from demon possession. We, we think today demon possession is, is done and gone, but there are still that we still live in an age where men and women are under the influences of Satan and brethren and sisters. It's only the gospel that can free such souls and it's only the gospel that can bring such liberty to them. But even though the gospel had liberated her, they made sure that Paul and Silas were denied their liberty because of the deed that had been wrought on the soul of this woman. I started to think about that and I thought of the exploitation of young women right across our world by sinful men. I think of young women that have been trafficked even into Northern Ireland and are abused by criminal gangs and, and used and exploited. People trafficking is as old as time itself and is as sinful as ever it has been. The Bible tells us that the two inmates, inmates, they were not cast down by what had happened to them. They, they saw the hand of God in all things. I've been reading again in the past week some of the stories of those great covenanting uh, forefathers that uh, the Reverend Morrow introduced us to last week. And even when they were going up the scaffolding, they saw the hand of God in their plight and in their circumstances. And Paul and Silas saw the hand of God in their circumstances and they started to sing. And this was a, a choir in the prison that was like none other. And they started to praise God. It's been said that though it was midnight without, it was midday in their souls. It's wonderful when you can sing praise unto God at midday or at midnight. 
And within their souls there was the very sunshine of the very approval of heaven upon them. The devil and the enemies of the gospel, they were delighted that such had happened. Criminal injustices happen today and they happen in all throughout history. And this was a great injustice that was done on the, on the servants of God. And by doing so, they thought they had silenced them. But really, rather than silence them, they just were helping to spread the message of the gospel even further. The devil overstepped himself because he always oversteps himself because we have a divine, sovereign God who rules in the affairs of men. And even in prison, God is working and God is moving. And in the depths of this prison cell, there was a heathen Roman jailer. And he heard words that he'd never heard before. And he was moved by the Spirit of God. And someone said about him this heathen at sunset was a Christian at sunrise. This man, he wasn't privileged like you who sit in this gospel meeting tonight. He wasn't brought up in the gospel. He wasn't privileged with attending the means of grace. He didn't have the freedoms and the privileges uh, that you and I have. And yet his story is one of amazing grace. One of the most amazing stories of grace in all the Bible and in all history. And I want to stop with you tonight and look at the conversion. This jailhouse conversion of the master of the jail itself. Because... The, the Bible teaches us that unless you are likewise converted, you cannot get into heaven. We'll, the first lesson we learn from us conversion is that even prior to conversion, sinners need to be awakened to their true state before God. Awakened. I do believe that any uh, awakening lacks comparison when it's, compar when it's put beside the awakening of the Philippian jailer. How, how deep a sleep he must have been in. Can you imagine how sound a sleep he must have been in? He knew all the prisoners were securely locked up. He knew Paul and Silas. They had double guard upon them. They were in chains. They couldn't do anything. But God used an earthquake. Not only to move that prison. Not only to open the doors of the prison. But God used the earthquake. Not only spirit. Not only physically but spiritually. To bring this man out of a slumber. And I sometimes fear, what will it take to bring some people out of their slumber of sin? What will it take? Will it take God to put you on the broad of your back before you look up? Will it take some earthquake in your life, some dramatic happening in your life to arouse you from your slumber and from your sleep? Maybe it'll be a gravesite that God will bring you to. Maybe it'll be an accident it'll bring, that will bring you to that awakening. Maybe it'll just be some incidental, seemingly unimportant event in life, but it will be that means that God will use to awaken you. And without that awakening, you'll sleep the sleep of death for all eternity. The jailer awakened out of his sleep, and when he was awakened out of his sleep by that uh, earthquake, he immediately he sensed his awful predicament. There are sometimes people, and they say they've been awakened, but they've no sense of where they are before God. They've no sense of the doom and the judgment that has befallen upon them. They've no sense of the danger that they're in. 
But verse 7, 27 tells us that this man, he saw the prison doors open. Imagine his situation. He was a jailer who was going to be faced with a situation that he had no inmates. Now, in our day, there might be a little inquiry into that situation. And I doubt that even the jailer would be fired in our day and generation. There would just be an inquiry and a committee look into it and they'd make a report and it'd be shelled and, and put away in some dusty place. But not in this day. Back in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, if the jailer was going to lose his inmates, he was going to lose his life. It was severe as that. This quickened man was now made aware that he was facing death. He was facing judgment. He was facing eternity. And I want you likewise to see that all of us men and women, all of us were just but one step away from death. That's a shuddering thought. We've been reading over the last few days of young people out celebrating their exam results, out partying with other young people, out with all the future ahead of them and suddenly cut off into eternity. Oh, let me tell you, we are all just but a step from eternity and from judgment. The jailer could not bear the prospect of such shame, of losing all the inmates. And he was brought just in a moment to a place of desperation. He was brought to the place of suicide. Sometimes we don't understand just how people are brought to such, such a place of desperation. But it can happen very quickly. There was no way out for this man. And the only way out, he thought, was to take his own life. That's what the devil would help people to believe. There's no way out, so you end it yourself. Let me tell you tonight. That is not the way out. But it's a way to see the end of yourself. Sinners must be brought to see that they have been brought to the end of themselves. For themselves there's nothing they can do. One of the great prayer warriors in the, in the revival of Kells and Connor was Jeremiah Manili. Wonderful case of conversion. I'd encourage you to, to read it. And he and his friends met in the schoolhouse at Kells and Connor and they prayed and they sought the Lord. And as they prayed and sought the Lord, God began to, to work. Uh, and he was awakened. He, he traced his awakening back to 1853. And he oft repeated the couplet as he went down Ulster and, and gave news of the revival and, and what God was doing. And he said, wakened up from wrath to flee in the year 1853. Have you been wakened up? Have you really been wakened up to the wrath of God? Have you been really wakened up to the extent that you desire to flee from the wrath of God? It's one thing talking about God's justice and judgment. But if you really 
If you really knew that you're before the judge of all men, you would want to flee from that judgment. And that just judgment. Robert Martin McShane was the young minister in the Free Church in Dundee. He died before he was 30. He walked with a great burden in his life and on his soul. Because he knew that his, the members of his congregation were under judgment. Every Sunday I come to this pulpit I realise that there are members in this congregation and they're under the judgment of God. McShane put it like this, as I walked in the fields, the thought came over me with almost overwhelming power that every one of my flock must soon be in heaven or hell. And oh, I wished I had a tongue like thunder that I might make them all hear or that I had a frame like iron that I might visit everyone and say, escape for thy life. Ah, sinners, you little know how I fear that you'll lay the blame of your damnation at my door. It is a fact, men and women, that every one of us were heading either to heaven or hell tonight. Heaven or hell. That's a solemn reality. And if you're not saved, and if you die as you are tonight, You'll have sat in those gospel pews and in other gospel pews and be damned for all eternity. By nature, we all confess that what are we? We're just children of wrath. But we're awakened to flee and we find in the Saviour's side a safe hiding place. I love the, the hymns of McShane. McShane rewrote them, there was poetry, but they've been turned into hymns. And one of his verses in that lovely hymn that we often sing goes like this. Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee. Hidden in the Saviour's side, by the Spirit sanctified, teach me, Lord, on earth to show by my love how much I owe. Do you really know how close you are to eternity? Do you really know the judgment of God that is upon you if you're not saved? Well then flee to Christ. There's a second lesson from this conversion and it also is that every sinner needs to be enlightened. Not just awakened but enlightened. Verse 28 and verse 29 when it seemed as if all hope was lost for this jailer a ray of light and hope entered into his despairing soul Paul, reckoning on, on his panic, probably hearing his cries of anguish, <clears throat> he shouted out to him, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And is that not the message of the gospel? There's hope for dying men and women. We can say to the individual on the brink of death itself, we can say to that man, that woman, on the very edge of God's eternity, Do not harm thyself. There is not need that you lose hope. There is hope. There is hope for all. As long as men and women are this side of eternity, there is hope. The jailer was used dwelling in the darkness. And he called for a light. Verse 29. 
Do thyself no harm, we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Do you think this man was afraid? I don't think he was afraid one little bit. He was a tough man. But now he was facing death. It was a different type of fear. It wasn't the physical darkness that he was afraid of. And at that last minute, God stepped into his plight. And this man who was indifferent, careless, ungodly, he now started to fear. I thank God for the mysterious work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that can bring light where darkness dwells. And as I've often said, it's not just the preaching of the gospel that we need. And Ulster needs the gospel. And Ulster needs to hear the gospel. But Ulster also needs to know the power of the Spirit of God working by the gospel. And it is the Spirit of God that takes the simple word and applies it to hearts and applies it to lives. And the Spirit of God, he comes, as we read in John 16, and he reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because the Prince of the world is judged. If you desire to know more about the way of life, well, that's evidence that the Spirit of God has been dealing with you. How do you know when someone... The Spirit of God is at work in someone's life. They start inquiring. They start asking. They want to be enlightened. How earnest was the jailer in his request? He came trembling. He was overwhelmed, trembling, lest he would die. Uh, and he blurted out, Well, what must I do then to be saved? This was conviction, this was repentance. The old ways were, were no longer any use. He, he now wanted to be saved and only these messengers, so Paul and Silas, had the answer for his heart. And maybe you've been asking that same question. Maybe some young person you've been asking that same question in your own heart and in your own soul. How, how then can it be saved? We don't know what people ask in their own mind. You know, as a young boy attending meetings, many, many times I asked that question in my own heart and in my own mind. How, how can I be saved? People told me I needed to be saved, but uh, they didn't tell me how I can be saved. And I kept asking it. And nobody had the answer. Oh, what, what, a, what a question. What a question. Well, God is the answer. I want you to see Thirdly, what sinners need to do in order to be saved. The answer is here, verse 31. The way to be saved is just simply believe. Believe. If, so, if some so-called preachers of our day had been where Paul and Silas was, they, they might have told us, <coughs> dear man, something else. They, they might have said, well, you, you need to get baptized. Or, or you need to go through a course of discipleship. Or you need to study. Uh, and I could just hear what some of the answers would be. But simply, straight to the point, uh, Paul and Silas, this was the man who put them in the chains, and now they're speaking to him from the chains, and they're saying to him, the only way the chains of sin will break in your life is simply for you to believe. And that's just the same message 
that we preach today as Paul and Silas had in the prison all of those years ago. We can say to the soul that is down and out ready to perish. We can go to that man or woman on the deathbed as we've done in years gone by. We can say to them, just believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The message of the gospel is pretty simple. In the New Testament, the term to believe in or on the Lord Jesus Christ, it has the, the, the signification of putting faith and confidence in who and what Christ claims to be. It means to personally accept what he, what he has to offer. If someone down at the shoreline threw you out that life, hey boy, what would you do? You wouldn't start questioning all about it. You would just grab a hold of it. You'd want to be pulled in to rescue. As we look at the New Testament, we discover that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he claimed to be the great sin bearer. What have you to believe? Well, he was the sin bearer. That's what the New Testament teaches. It tells us in Matthew 20, 28, that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for the many. Peter took that up in 1 Peter 2.24 and he said about Christ that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. On the cross of Calvary, as we were singing it earlier on, the Lord Jesus, he shed his precious blood that you, by the shedding of his blood, might be brought to God. What have you to believe? He's the sin bearer. What have you to believe? He's my sin bearer. What have you to believe? Through his offering, I can draw nigh to God. The Lord Jesus, he offers himself as the only deliverer. There's no other deliverer. There's no other deliverer from the power of sin. And if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ can save you from the penalty of sin, he can also save you from the dominion of sin. Some, some people believe the first part of the gospel, but they don't really appreciate the full application of the gospel, that he was also raised again. The full application of the gospel emphasizes he's the all-conquering risen Lord. He not only saved me from my guilt of sin, he saves me from the dominion of sin. That jailer was never the same again. He was changed immediately in an instant there and then when God put his mark upon him. How do I know that? Well, the man who beat them now cleaned up their wounds. He provided sustenance for them. He now opened his home to them. The Lord Jesus Christ, he offers himself, but in an exclusive manner. We, we, we live in a day and age in which this woke society in which we live in, it talks about inclusivity you have to include everybody and so of the ecumenical service today you have to have all of the Sikhs you have to have all of the Hindus you have to have the Iman from the Muslim you have to have all of the, the, the so called uh, mainstream churches and then nowadays you'll also find a spattering of so called evangelicals and they'll put it all together in those national services and they'll say we're all inclusive Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Paul and Silas simply said, believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ, one and only, and you will be saved. I can't tell you tonight there are half a dozen ways of salvation. Your way is just as good as my way. His way is just as good as your way. There's one way. Just through Jesus. Through believing and receiving him. The Bible calls you not only to believe on Jesus Christ for salvation, but to accept his lordship. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people and they say, well, they can't be saved. I can't be saved. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. But does he have to own everything about me? Yes. Monday right through to Saturday, including Sunday. I heard a preacher a few days ago and I thought he just he just hit the center target. He introduced the subject by talking about Christians who were part-time. Part-time workers, part-time Christians. But brethren and sisters, there are no part-time Christians. There are no part-time Christians. He's either Lord of all that is in your life or Lord of nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him and you'll be saved. He's Lord of your home. He's Lord of where you are at school or college. He's Lord of where you are at work. He's Lord of your, of your neighborhood, all the organizations and the societies that you're in. He's Lord of all. Let's learn how such saving faith as we close is manifested. Well, in the case of the jailer, look at verse 34. He rejoiced believing. He rejoiced believing. There is no joy like the joy of the pardoned sinner. Here's a man, he's about to die. There's no hope for him. He's going to take his own life. It's all lost. And God in grace says to him, pardoned. And he rejoices. And God in grace comes to this final gospel meeting of the summer of 2023. And he says to you, here is pardon. Receive it. And rejoice in it. He ministered now unto these prisoners. He washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. The old things had passed away. All things had become new. The faith of this man is seen also in his obedience to the commands of Christ. Straightway, the Bible says, he was baptized. We're not going to quibble over the, the mode of how he was baptized. But he was baptized. It was a mark of obedience. The man believed and not only was he saved, but the message went to his family and they were saved that very same night and they were all baptized in that one instant. And that family became not only the first male member of the church at Philippi, the first family that was one of the foundation families of the church at Philippi. If you'd have looked at them, you'd have said they're a totally dysfunctional family. Well, isn't it lovely to know God uses such families? And he builds churches even upon them. And through saving faith, it claims all the promises of God for 
Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Maybe you're the only Christian in your household. And you say, well, where's the relevance with that? Maybe there's only, maybe a couple of you in the household. Maybe mom and dad are saved and the children are not saved. Maybe you're a grandparent and, and you have sons and, and daughters and maybe grandchildren that are not saved. There's a thousand and one variations on it. But here's a promise to claim. I have believed. I have believed. And I believe in a covenant keeping God. I'm believing not only for my own salvation, but for my household salvation. I'm believing. Will you hold on to God for that? We thought of Hannah this morning holding on to God in the place of prayer for Samuel. And God kept him throughout all the, of the changes of life. He wasn't saved at home. She didn't lead him to the Lord at her bedside or to his bedside. It was probably when he was about maybe eight, nine, ten years of age. He heard the call of God, Samuel, Samuel. But he believed. God worked in his heart and God worked in his life. If you'd visited this church at Philippi, you'd have met this family. Became one of the greatest churches in the New Testament. It was a church that brought great joy to the Apostle Paul and was greatly instrumental in furthering the gospel of Christ in its day and generation. May the Lord work in on alone in similar manner. May the Lord bring them. You and I would look at them and say they're totally dysfunctional. Lord, bring them in. May the grace of God change them, work in their hearts, work in their lives, and set them to be the foundational members of another generation, of another decade, if it be the Lord's will to tarry in this little part of the vineyard. If you're here unsaved, and yet you've been awakened, and you've been enlightened, I want you to take a step that you haven't taken before. Come to the Savior tonight. Just simply believe. Believe that he's the sin bearer. Believe that he's your sin bearer. And cry unto him for mercy and grace. And I will not pass you by. 